So last week we looked at the very first words from the book of Genesis. We took a 30,000 foot view of the creation story, focusing on God as the central figure, not just in creation and not just in the universe, but as we studied in life, and in particular our lives. True? Beginning, God created. We emphasize that God himself is both the purpose and the foundation from which we must never untether. Remember, we talked about how you untether from this reality that God himself is the purpose and the foundation. The minute we back up from this truth, we are have opened ourselves to all sorts of insanity and foolishness. And we used our Philippian lens, if you were with us on week one, we talked about this prayer that Paul prays for the Philippians that's actually on the bottom, the front page of your handout. But we used that lens to recall that this truth, that God is both our purpose and our foundation, that truth eliminates all other possibilities of origin and purpose. If other people would say, well, maybe we were evolved here. No. Maybe you know we were planted by aliens. No. Remember that this knowledge that God is both the purpose and foundation, that He is beginning, God created. Because of that, for us, we believe by faith that that is true. It eliminates all other possibilities. And in our hold to this truth, through faith, we are provided with all discernment. Proverbs 1 says it this way, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If you want real knowledge, true discernment, it starts here. The fear of the Lord. And then with this knowledge and discernment, as Paul prays for the Philippians, our love is given the field in which to run free and abound more and more. Remember, team, what we're doing here is not just learning facts today. But we're conforming ourselves to the image of God through our knowledge of Him. And that reality should cause our love to grow for Him. True? And for each other. That's what we're doing. So may we do that. So today we're going to look at what it means that God rested. And is this something we're still supposed to do? What about the Sabbath? Are we, are we not obeying that? Why day six? Why not day seven? What's, what's all this about? And then also just how do we continue our celebration of the Sabbath? If it's a commandment, how do we abound in our love for God and others through our study of this passage of these truths today. So let's just kind of remember chapter 1 concludes with God completing this day 6 pattern of ordering and filling. This is what we talked about last week. 
He's ordering and filling and then pronouncing goodness. That happens all the way through days 1 through 6. If you look in Genesis 1 verse 31, and God saw that everything he had made, God saw that everything he, he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was morning and there was evening the sixth day. And so God orders and then he fills. He orders in days 1 through 3. And then days 5, 4 through 6, he fills. And then at the end of each day, he pronounces it good. Or on case of day 6, very good. And so now we come to chapter 2, verse 1. And this six-day pattern, following this six-day pattern, God, we're told, He rests. He stops. He ceases from this pattern, this work. And so chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 says, Thus, the the heavens and the earth... Back to verse 1 and 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. Right away, we see the repetition. We're talking about this quite a bit. Anytime we see repeating patterns, we ought to be paying attention. That's actually part of Hebrew poetry. It's not necessarily that the word rhymes, but that it's repeated often. And so we see these phrases that he rested from the work that he had done. And so we see two things pretty clearly. This first one is this work that he had done, his work of ordering and filling. And then the other repetition is that he rested from this work of ordering and filling. The Hebrew word here for rested is the word Shabbat. It's where we get the word Sabbath. And the the word literally means to stop or to cease. Here it's translated rest. And the reason they do that is because rest means something than just ceasing or stopping. The Lord doesn't just stop and then move on to something else. He's stopping and then he is pausing actually in the work that he's done. You with me? God didn't rest because he was tired or because he needed a break or even that he was giving us an example to follow, although that's part of it. We'll see some of that as we move along. But that's not the total reason that he's resting. He stops, he ceases, he shabbats, because there's literally nothing else for him to do. His work is done. It's complete. The key to understanding this completion, this resting, is really in our understanding of this pronouncement of good and very good at the end of each of the days. Thanks, buddy. And so this stated goodness, 
We had morning, we have evening, and it was good. It's a perfection that we have a hard time fathoming, this goodness word. God's work is completely done. It's finished. Each day closes with nothing incomplete in what He intended to do. Every detail down to DNA strands and molecules and every small nuance of science that scientists can't even get under a microscope or can't even possibly fathom even now, everything that was supposed to be done was perfectly completed. It was completely complete. It was perfectly perfect. It was good. And so he rests. There's nothing left to be done. And so the seventh day is special. There's no work. So what is there? Two things. His presence and relating, interacting. That's all there is. Everything is perfectly perfect. Look at verse 3. So God blessed the seventh day. Why? Well, because there was nothing else to do. So He enters into this new day for the purpose of resting in it, remaining in it. Again, verse 3, So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it He rested from all the work that He had done in creation. God creates the perfect dwelling place and He stops. Like the perfect dwelling place. And then He rests in this sanctified space. In other words, He abides, He lives in this creation. And God sets the seventh day apart as the day. Days 1 through 6 are for day 7. We have day 7 because there was days 1 through 6. It's the reason that days 1 through 6 exist is what? It's day 7. Why am I repeating myself? Because this is really important. Because the whole thing is all about God interacting with and sharing His attributes with His creation, with us, humans. And so with everything completely complete, with everything perfectly perfect, He rests. Or we could say, He sits down. This day is holy. Church, we're going to get into this a little bit. This should make us start to think about the temple that was built in the book of Exodus with the Israelites. This inner sanctum, this place, this holy of holies where it takes all kinds of animal blood to get the people there to do what? To be in the presence of God. So now this is pre-sin. He creates not just one little tiny room to contain himself, but an entire galaxy, a universe with an earth in which he creates 
And then he lands there with his presence. The ESV study notes observe that historically in ancient literature, and certainly here in Genesis this is true, that this kind of divine rest is attributed to temple building. God's purpose for the earth is that it should become his dwelling place. He didn't just make... Contrary to our Sunday school pictures on the walls and flannel boards growing up in Sunday school, He did not make the world for us. It's for Him. We get to be part of it, but it's for His glory, and He invites us in. Day 7 is about God. It's not simply made to house His creatures, but the earth is to become His dwelling place. That's why, church, it needed to be perfectly perfect. Because apart from that, He cannot dwell there. And so, in other words, creation is not primarily for us, but for Him. In other words... God's creation is His divine sanctuary in which He dwells and abides with His creation. And with mankind, He shares His glory. His attributes were created in His image to share this space with Him. And that day, that seventh day, there is no... And there was morning and there was evening the seventh day. That doesn't exist because this day where man, where we people live with God is intended to be forever. It goes on and on. There is no end to this relating. God orders, He fills, and then He rests. Now next week we're going to dive deeper into our study looking at the purpose for why God created us humans. Why we're different level than animals. What makes us uniquely special as His creation. And what does it mean for us? What was His intention in us living with Him? Resting with Him. And then we're going to talk about what that means to us today. And we're going to talk about how Christ purchased the ability back for us to re-enter into the presence of God. This is really good. And so then the following week, January 29th, Ian's going to be leading us through Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man away from relationship with God. He's not going to teach us about the, um, just going to teach us about how that, that our purpose in God was d- disrupted who we are and how we function as men and women, that that gets disrupted. That's true. But he's not going to just talk about that. But that this is also, the fall was a disruption of our ability to join God in his resting. And you know what the whole Bible is? It's a story about God coming to get us and take us back into rest with him. You hear me? The whole, it's this wonderful, epic adventure story, not about how men and women scratch and climb and earn their way back to God. No. It's this epic story about how these lost people keep going their own way and God, the hero, comes to get us and bring us back into His rest. To bring us back into life with Him as He originally intended. That's the story of the Bible. 
He wants to bring us back to the garden of Eden. But it's not about a place. It's about resting, living with Him. So remember, while they were in the wilderness, this is 70 chapters later, after Genesis 1, God has Moses instruct the Israelites on building a portable temple, the tabernacle. It included an outer area with an inner sanctuary. It was ornately decorated with trees and vines and fruit. And the construction, the entire construction of the tabernacle symbolizes, it's, it's a recreation of the Garden of Eden. It's supposed to remind the Israelites that everything out there is not what it was intended to be. Everything is here. This is where we're going. God was showing His people through the building and the practices around the temple that dwelling with Him was central to their lives. And dwelling with Him was what set them apart. It's made them holy as a people. You following me? Dwelling with Him, living with Him, entering into His presence is still the goal. That's what He wants them to know. But in order to enter into God's rest, a cleansing from sin was required. Thus, the whole sacrificial system of cleansing and purification and grain offerings and bird offerings and animal sacrifices. And so, by the commandments of God, the priests and the people worked together creating sacred places where they could meet with God. But it required a life to do so. It required blood sacrifice for the payment of sin to purify the people so they could once again enter into what? Into God's rest, into His presence. So built into the tabernacle and then eventually the temple later on and then also in the Sabbath day built into all of these buildings and practices are symbols pointing to a Messiah that would come who would one day rescue everybody from this necessary striving to create purity. Are you with me? So they had to work They had to do things. They had to do animal sacrifices in faith in order to earn purity before God. One day, a Messiah was coming who would put all of that to an end and provide ultimate spiritual rest. So that they could truly Shabbat. That they could stop they could cease. We know now, right, that Christ is that Messiah who provides ultimate rest. Hebrews 10.12 says, But when Christ had offered for us all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God. In other words, after His perfectly perfect, completely complete atonement, He rested. He sat down. When Christ's work was finished, He sat down, not because He was tired, but because there was nothing else 
for him to do. His work was perfectly perfect. Think about this. He died on Sunday. He died at sundown on a Friday. He rested in the tomb on Shabbat. He rose after Shabbat was over on a Sunday. When his work was finished, when he was done, he rested. He sat down. His atonement complete. And because of this, the entire sacrificial system is obsolete. It all leads to Christ. The rescue story has a hero, and his name is Jesus. He's the one who provides Sabbath rest. No more grain offerings, no more animal sacrifices, or purification rites in order to enter the presence of God. In the Holy of Holies, the, 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 the veil, the curtain was torn from top to bottom, and it's open. We can enter into the holy places because of Christ Jesus. We no longer need to keep the law that could only point to the need for a salvation anyway, or to work to keep up sacrifices to be justified, or to cleanse us from our sin, or to help us so that we could enter into the presence of God. Rather, we Shabbat, we stop from all of that. We cease from our work, and we rest in the completely complete, perfectly perfect work of Christ. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 8, Jesus publicly declares himself the Son of Man, the Lord of the Sabbath. This is why they wanted to kill him. They knew what that meant. He's saying, all Sabbath rest is now found in me. I am the pinnacle of all Sabbath worship. Jesus says, I am God who takes your spiritual striving away. Hebrews 9.11 says, But when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, right? Or you could translate tabernacle. So through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, He, Jesus, entered entered once for all into the Holy of Holies, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of His own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. Hebrews 4 is the definitive passage regarding Jesus as our Sabbath rest. The writer of Hebrews exhorts his readers to enter into the Sabbath rest provided by Christ. So after three chapters of telling them that Christ is superior to angels, he's superior to Moses, he's superior to the apostles, he's superior to the high priest, he pleads with them not to harden their heart against the Lord as their fathers had hardened their hearts in the wilderness and to believe that Jesus is their Sabbath rest. Trust in Him.
And then in chapter 4, verse 9 of Hebrews, there remains then a Sabbath rest for God's people. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work. What's he talking about? He's talking about the earning our own salvation. We rest from that. Just as God did from His, let us therefore make every effort to enter into that rest so that no one will fall will, will fall by following their, their example of disobedience. In the Old Testament, they entered into the presence of God in the Sabbath around the Sabbath by stopping. But since Christ, we enter into His Sabbath rest by believing. In Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is constantly adjusting the people's ideas of righteousness by rephrasing laws, common rules of their day, and rephrasing those and saying them in a way that he helped them to understand what true holiness actually looked like. And so we would see over and over, you have heard that it was said, but I say unto you, see, you're thinking this way about what holiness looks like, about the law, and I'm going to tell you that it's way more than that. It's something much more detailed and intricate than that. Holiness is much different than that. It's this. A couple examples. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders is liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. He's saying, It's... Murder starts long before you get to whacking somebody. It's much deeper than that. Then likewise, in Matthew 5.27, he said, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This, is way, this starts way before. Holiness starts way before the act. And so by way of application, we could say this about the Sabbath. You have heard that it was said, you must obey the Sabbath and stop from work one day a week. But I say unto you, because Jesus has done your work for you, you Shabbat, you stop, you cease, you rest from your work, and you live, you rest in Jesus every second of every day. You see? It's, it's not just one day a week. This is a whole mindset. It's a life. The Sabbath starts long before you ever get to taking the day off of work. Are you with me? Church, I, I cannot overstate this point. Just as obeying the fifth commandment is far more than making somebody else dead, or the sixth commandment is far more than the physical act of sex outside of marriage, so the fourth commandment is so much more than stopping a work day. You with me? It's way more than that. And so we get caught up, well, should we be celebrating the Sabbath? How should we celebrate the Sabbath? It's a commandment. 
Of course we're supposed to celebrate. The question is how, right? But the last thing we want to do is make it all about taking a day off. Well, what does taking a day off mean? And I've told you this before. I can play frisbee, but not football. I can go here, but not there. I can push my stroller this far, but not that far. All of a sudden, we lose the whole meaning and the intent. What's the meaning of Sabbath? What's the meaning of God's rest? To spend it with His creation. For His creation to put on His attributes. For His glory to be made manifest. universe, the entire universe was created for God to inhabit and to live for His glory. Hear me? His work is the only work that's ever finished. His work is the only work that is ever completely complete. Perfectly perfect. If you're striving to get all the things done so that you can Shabbat, you've, one, you've missed the point. Two, your work's never done. You're not perfect. The goal of the Sabbath is living, remaining, and abiding with God. That's the goal of the Sabbath. If you hear that because of Christ and Christ is our Sabbath rest that you don't have to take a Sabbath and you go, oh man, that's good to hear. We don't have to follow law. You've missed the point. Hear me. We violate the fourth commandment when we ignore God and we don't delight in Him by setting apart or delighting in things that are lesser than Him. You see? Breaking the Sabbath starts way before we work on Saturday. We violate the fourth commandment when we live as if we can gain life apart from Him. In other words, we think true life comes from our work, or our money, or our homes, or our popularity, or our respect that people give us, and we literally exhaust ourselves to prove that we are the ones in the center of the universe. Hello? Why can't I take a day off? I've got way too much to do. You've missed the point. You are not the center of the universe. I am not the center of the universe. Happiness does not come through all these things that you're pursuing. It doesn't. We violate the fourth commandment when we think that it's our physical work that will bring us spiritual rest. We violate the fourth commandment when we think it's our spiritual work that will bring us spiritual rest. We violate the fourth commandment when we work inordinate hours as if work can be completely complete or perfectly perfect. I don't care if from this message forward, I don't think God does either, that if you follow every Sabbath from Friday night till Saturday night for the rest of your life, but if you work crazy hours, 80 hours a week, and ignore people in order to get there, He's not pleased. We 
violate the fourth commandment when we fail to trust in God's provision of seven days and we prioritize projects over people. Church, breaking the Sabbath starts way before we work on Saturday or Sunday. You with me? The goal is living with God that's provided for us. The ability to do that is provided for us in Christ Jesus. And He's 24-7. Sabbath, literally, Sabbath rest for us is 24-7 rest. How do we honor the fourth commandment? If that's the way we violate it. By the way, I would encourage this around your dinner tables or in your conversations with friends or co-workers. If the Sabbath... If breaking the Sabbath starts long before, I'd encourage you to consider this. How is it? How do we violate the fourth commandment? True? If murder starts long before, we could sit around and talk about how we don't murder, or we could talk about actually the ways, you know, I wish people in my life didn't exist. God calls that murder. I wish that person would just go away for my benefit. That's murder. God says it starts long before. How do you violate the fourth commandment? Because we do. How do we honor the fourth commandment? This is why we read Isaiah chapter 58 and I gave you some of that context. And God says, if you turn your back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure, from doing your business on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure, your own business, or talking idly, just paying lip service to the day, then you shall take delight in the Lord. That's the goal, is delighting in the Lord. How do we honor the Sabbath? By the delighting in the Lord. See, we obey the fourth commandment when we organize our priorities as if God and His will are the center of our universe. We honor and obey the fourth commandment when we, by our lives, organize around the fact that God is our purpose and our foundation. We honor the Sabbath. We obey the fourth commandment when we delight in God. When we give praise for all that Jesus has done for us to bring us into rest in God. We obey the fourth commandment when we trust Him enough to cease to Shabbat and intentionally honor God and we set aside time. We make it holy to take pleasure in Him, to delight in Him. Maybe many of you have seen the movie The Incredibles. I'm not pushing Disney movies. I've sworn off of them. However, if you already own the DVD, that's one of my favorites. Yeah. Uh, one of my uh, one of the f- kind of scenes that stuck out to me is this little guy. You know, he's sp- supposed to be his little buddy, and then he becomes his arch nemesis, and. He's, his name is Syndrome, and he's, gonna, he's creating all these different things to make everybody super. And one of the things he says at the end of the movie is, when everybody is super, then no one is. 
right? I think that principle applies here. When everything is the Sabbath, then nothing is. We've got to be careful about that. If we say, well, the Sabbath is 24-7 and we don't, have to, we don't have to follow the Sabbath law because Christ is our Sabbath rest. When everything is the Sabbath, then nothing is. Here's the truth, church. God rested long before the law ever existed. Long before Moses carried down the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai, God rested. There's a pattern in here. There's something about his character and his image that says, rest, my children, and enjoy me. Let me give you some principles. Much to cover. Little time. There's some key principles here that I want to give you. Not legalistic things because we're not bound by the law, but some things I want us to think about. The first thing I want us to think about is it's not about the day. It's not about Saturday. It's not about Sunday. It's not about what you can do or what you can't do. Here's what Paul says to the Colossians. Chapter 2, verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. That's what Paul says. He's talking to Gentile believers. And he's saying, look, don't let anybody knock you off your horse that you belong to God because of Christ Jesus' work for you. Don't let anybody take that away from you. And they might talk about, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to honor the Sabbath. And Paul says, no, you don't. Christ is your Sabbath rest. These are shadows of the things to come. The Sabbath rest was a shadow that pointed to Christ. But now that He is here, Christ is your Sabbath. And then he says to the Romans, chapter 14, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. It's not about the day. But let me say this too. Because it's not about the day. But when the new covenant was initiated, when the life of Christ culminated in his death and resurrection, and he is, he has become true Sabbath rest. The New Testament church recognizes that work. The language changes in the New Testament from Sabbath to the Lord's day. And it was at that point when Sabbath moved from Saturday to the church to Sunday, the Lord's Day. And the church honored and celebrated and were together and broke bread on the Lord's Day. It's not about the day. You following me? Okay. But, I, but there's a question about, well, Saturday, Sunday? I'm just telling you why the day switched. It's a historical activity. But it's not about, it's not about the day. You with me? So based on that, here's some principles that we should consider. 
that should drive your participation in Sabbath rest. One, honor God as holy and joyfully set Him apart every moment of every day. Delightfully strive to create an atmosphere in your heart, in your mind, and your life that God is your purpose and your foundation. You breathe in, you breathe out, you breathe the life of Christ Jesus. You with me? Paul says something similar. Pray without ceasing. You're saying, Rob, that's almost impossible. Yeah, but more and more, this reality that we are living life in God because of the work of Christ Jesus, that ought to permeate every part of our lives. True? That is the goal. 24-7. All the time. We will one day get there because of Christ. He is taking us there. When He establishes His kingdom, we will be absorbed into His glory. Sin is gone. Pain is gone. And we will live constantly, 100% of time, in His presence. That we know is true from the book of Revelation. That's where we're going. But while we wait in this already not yet, we have this opportunity to, to give Him full, full access to every part of our lives. And His purpose and His foundation ought to be the very breath of our souls. Are you with me? We rest constantly. And practically, how does this play out? If you're despairing because you feel like you're not ever getting there, that spiritually you can't seem to ever get all your spiritual poop in a group, you can't pull yourself together enough. I use the term because that's what we feel like, true? We can't ever get it together. Church, rest in Christ Jesus. It's not about your work. When you're struggling to despair, rest in Him. When you're anxious and you feel like, man, I just can't ever, I can't ever do enough. I can't ever get, I need more hours in the day. I, I can't ever, there's too much. I've got these things. When you're there, speak truth to yourself. Rest in Christ Jesus. Your work will never be completely complete. Father, thank you that you ordered the entire universe. Surely you're ordering my life. And I just remember right now, I enter into your presence and your rest. And I trust you. It's not about me. It's about you. Church, that ought to change the way we live practically. Here's a second principle. Set aside holy time. That's, that's redundant because time set aside is holy. You with me? But just so we understand, set aside holy time where you intentionally get your mind around your life in God every day. Every day. At some point in time, we ought to be resting in God every day. You with me? These aren't legalistic things, church. I'm just telling you, what does it really look like to take a Sabbath? It starts way before Saturday or Sunday. 
every moment and then every day getting ourselves in a place where we're recognizing God and saying, I live for you. And then set aside a day a week. Church, we don't do this very well, do we? But I'm telling you, it can't be about the thing, the day. It's got to be about, man, I, I, you know, this is one of those times I stood up in my office and I was fired up and I'm like, Lord, I want to delight in you. I take full delight in you one day a week. Like I really, look at here she comes. That we would trust him with one day a week and say with our lives, You are God. You are Lord of the universe. And what you did and what you do is central to my life. And I'm willing to pause and put myself in your work and stop from mine. Church, we need to do it. It's good for us to do that. Cease from your striving and honor God and His day is holy whatever day that is and the fourth principle is we ought to look forward to the coming rest when we will because we'll never do all this perfectly but we look forward to Christ rescuing us ultimately from ourselves when we will com- be completely free and we will rest in God's seventh day forever and that team ought to adjust the way we live even today. We begin adjusting ourselves now for them. That's the kingdom. Yeah? Leaders of homes, let me talk to you for a minute. This is our job. To teach people around us to delight in God. This is not about what we're not doing. Inviting people in to celebrate the God who has rescued us. It's what we get to do. And inviting non-family members in and celebrating all that Christ has done for us is a gift that we get to help others to do, to delight in God. Somehow, some way, intentionally setting aside time to lead ourselves in others of resting in the completely complete, perfectly perfect work of Christ. Last couple Friday nights, so I, okay, some of you boys are going to kind of probably want me to call a safety next men's meeting, but. Um, Blue Bloods, as you know, is one of my favorite shows. I'm fasting from Blue Bloods for a little bit. Okay, I haven't been watching. Okay. But one of the cool things about the show, if you've ever seen it, is Sunday dinner at Frank Reagan's house, chief of police, is a non-negotiable. Everybody's there unless you've got a really, really good excuse. The last couple Friday nights, we've been taking time 
to just stop. To take dinner together. We take, we've adopted some practices from the Jewish Shabbat. So we celebrate the reality that we're in Christ. We pray over our kids. We fellowship together. We light candles. We intentionally talk about God's goodness to us. It's been fantastic. Yeah, Mom, now's the time for a wow. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, look, I don't care how you do it, and whether you're a leader of a family or not, or whether you're single, you have this opportunity to teach other people to delight in God, and it's 24-7. This is good, church. This is helpful to me to think about. I've always gravitated toward this ditch of, well, do we do it here or there? What can you do? What can't you do? I'm hoping that we've caught this idea that this is about resting, enjoying, and living in God. That it's 24-7, but that reality ought to be so profoundly applicable that it changes our calendar. That's the point. Father, we want to honor you with our lives, with every breath that we take as we set aside time to head into our day or at the close of it. As we complete a week, may you be the central figure of our lives always drawing ourselves back to you, that we would honor you with our moments, with our hours, and with our weeks, and with our months. Would we commit ourselves to these times of delighting in you and taking or bringing others with us as we go? Because you deserve it. Because you are worthy. because it's where we find our joy. Help us to these ends through the power of Your Spirit and for the glory of Your Son, our Savior and King Jesus. Amen.